0: You're listening to the Jackie Daily Show. Find me online at jackiedaily.com. That's Jackie No E, daily like every day. And follow me on The X at Jackie daily Host, also on Truth Social and Instagram, Jackie Daily. Subscribe for free just about anywhere that quality podcasts are found iHeartRadio, Spotify, iTunes, theblaze.com forward slash podcasts. And on the dial in Texas. All right. I have been all over the place doing a Jackie Daly show tour. I do them from time to time. Uh, some of this is included. Some of it is not. But here's just a a quick sampling of what I've been doing traveling more than half of the month over the last two months. Number one, I uh, went to Palm Springs to Charles Koch's meeting, Stand Together. Um, you might know that The Koch family has the largest privately held Company which includes a lot of Oil and gas products made from Oil and gas Uh, they have been Reviled very unfairly in The press despite fueling the Country and fueling freedom Um, They have their Own semi-annual Events where they and Many of their Well wealthy friends uh, Come together to do both Political work and charity We don't do that is my family. We do not do politics with Charles Koch. We do not agree with Charles Koch on many things, uh, respectfully. Respectfully. Uh, we do work together on charitable issues. But um, yeah, it's been that's been an ongoing, evolving situation. And I don't talk politics on this show. I try to never use the words Democrat or Republican if I can help it. Because I actually want people who don't agree with me. To continue to listen, I don't want to offend their ears with, um, you know, political dog whistles because people read into things, things that I don't mean and others don't mean. I just want to talk the issues, the topics. So, do do me this favor. I'm I'm trying to not be any more political than I have to be. If you think I'm endorsing candidates, or or uh, you know, talking shop with politics. Let me know, because I actually try to not do that. Um, So again, at Coke, we were doing charitable work. Then I went to the NAEP um, conference, the biggest oil and gas conference on earth down in Houston. I moderated the governor's panel between Governor Abbott of Texas and Governor Stitt of Oklahoma and had a great event. People thought I was really easy on Abbott and really hard on Stitt, which was too bad. I love them both. I'm acquainted with both of them on a first-name basis. You know what? I had to get my questions approved. You know why? Because I'm a little too aggressive. I'm a little, a little bit too aggressive for uh, the governors. You know what? I'm not going to tell you which one has an office that really pushes back on Jackie Daly questions. But uh, one of them was uh, pretty tough and one of them was really timid. And concerned about my tone, so many of my questions. No, I'm serious. Many of my questions were changed. Uh, I was ready to throw in the really cool. Yeah, come on, we're all friends. We can we can disagree. One of my favorite topics is what's more American than disagreement. But uh, I had to watch my watch my tongue, hold my tongue. <laughs> yes, I see the reaction. Yeah, it's fine. We had fun. It was great. So I leave the NAEP conference, which you can find the pictures online. I'm going to put them on uh, Facebook and Twitter and, excuse me, the X. I'm such a dinosaur. I still call it Twitter. Uh, When I get the professional photos and video, it will be on JackieDaily.com, so you can check that out. And left there, went to the Navy Seal Foundation party, which was awesome. Also in Houston, Navy Seal Foundation, excellent charity. If you are familiar with them. Um, I mean, you can imagine, right? They're looking out for the warfighters, critical support for warriors, veterans, and families of Naval Special Warfare. This is the most elite fighting force in the world. SEALs and Special Warfare Combatant Craft Crewmen, Um, support personnel, working behind the reach of conventional forces, direct action hostage rescue. Other specialized missions, you know what they do. Underwater demolition, the really tough stuff, the challenging stuff. Um, They've executed some of the highest risk, no-fail operations in history. Many have not been publicized, but that's what they've been doing for you for a long, long time. Since 2000, the Navy SEAL Foundation is a nonprofit that provides a comprehensive set of 30 programs for SEALs and affiliated persons like their families. So that's what I was doing. Uh, after the nape, which is great, and then went out to LA uh, this past week and attended the Movie Guide Gala, which is the award ceremony for family friendly films. And guess what? The film that I was in last year, A Paris Christmas Waltz, was up for an award and won. So I was on the red carpet with the stars. Uh, Jen Lilly and Matthew Morrison. You know him from Glee. You know her from Great American Family Channel. Uh, Candace Cameron Bure was there. Lori Lockham was there. Jack Wagner was there. Um, just uh, Dennis Quaid, who was the entertainment. Dennis Quaid played the guitar on stage, which was amazing. He has a new gospel album out, which is amazing. So I didn't even know that. Um, so yeah, that was Beverly Hills. I've got speaking engagements lined up for Houston, Waco, and Dallas. Um, I will give you more details as those become available, but they're coming up this year. New videos coming out next week with Mark Mills from Texas Public Policy Foundation. uh, Also, Manhattan Institute. Really, the smartest guy. My opinion, one of the smartest guys on earth when it comes to explaining the truth about the green transition from fossil fuels to green energy. It is not happening as you're being told it's happening uh, and it's not going to happen the way that you're being told it's going to happen. And Mark Mills, who is a physicist used to be um, a member of the government under the Reagan administration doing defense work. will explain uh, he's, he's, he's got the goods. He's got the data, things like that. You would have to expand mining 10 times to even begin to carry out these plans. We don't have 10 times the minds. We have, we have what we have. We have to multiply it by 10. No one is moving to do that. Therefore, this is not going to happen. If you don't see those shovels in the ground, metaphorically speaking, or dozers in the ground, it's not happening. So, Mark Mills and I talk about that. This week, I'll speak with Abraham Enriquez of Bienvenidos. Bienvenidos is this organization that's trying to finally be that voice for this exploding Spanish-speaking population in the United States. They're they're new immigrants. They're old immigrants. They're not immigrants at all, like the people in South Texas who haven't moved in hundreds of years, yet they've been Americans, Texans, Mexicans, tribes. Um, There really is no voice, effective voice for them in politics. And In policy. And so, you know, a lot of these people, they're not brainwashed um, Ivy Leaguers, right? These are common sense small business people. And so, Abraham and I are going to talk about the importance of this community uh, in the country's future. And the fact that many of them are employed in the oil and gas industry, critical to it. In fact, especially in West Texas and South Texas, two of the biggest oil and gas fields, and um, so Abraham's got the data on that, got the goods. These folks are open to the pro-freedom message. They're the fastest expanding demographic. So it's kind of important. Then I'm, uh, I believe, accepting an invitation to go to the Earth X convention. Becoming very famous now here in Dallas, the Earth X convention put on by Trammel Crow and others. They have asked me to moderate, and a member of my household to be on a panel all about wind turbines and wildlife. Like, finally, we're going to have a discussion and admit that wind turbines kill raptors, like golden eagles, bald eagles, hawks. And, you know, we. I don't think we're touching on the whales. I think it's all going to be land-based because a member of my household funded a study that looked at hundreds of other studies about Bird kills with wind turbines and proved that they are not accurate. I did a whole segment on that or two several shows ago, but that's all going to come out on this panel at the EarthX convention, which is on Earth Day here in Dallas. So we'll be there and on stage. All right. Am I out of time? I'm just about out of time. Okay. For this open, coming up, I have my friend Greg Lukianoff back on the show. Um, He is the free speech warrior. I often wonder, like, how much longer do I get to do this show? How much longer will free speech law protect my right to do this show? Greg Lukianoff wrote The Canceling of the American Mind. He also wrote The Coddling of the American Mind. It's all about how cancel culture undermines trust and threatens us all. But there's a solution, he says, in the book. So we're going to talk about that a little bit later. So much to talk about. And then... I'm going to tell you how you can survive the new green economy and Uber inflation. I'm going to give you some tips. Literally, I believe I can save you some serious money because there should be benefits to listening to The Jackie Daly Show. You can actually listen to me and get richer and make money. Not with investment advice. I don't do that. But I have some tips that I think can help you. And I'm also going to urge you to prepare for emergency situations, get ready. Who knows what's coming up straight ahead? Grid failure or other instability. All right, going to break. This is the Jackie Daily Show. You're listening to the Jackie Daily Show. Find me online at JackieDaly.com and follow me on the X at Jackie Daly Host. All right, 30 years ago, I remember... My very, very liberal high school English teacher saying, I disagree with what you're saying, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it. That's what liberals used to say. And now we've got a broad spectrum of people who no longer feel that way. We are losing people, especially in the younger generation. They don't know what free speech is and couldn't begin to to write a paragraph on why it's necessary to stay safe and protect us from harm, but I have at least one free speech warrior here on the show today to lay it out for us. His name is Greg Lukianoff. He is the author of The Canceling of the American Mind, The Canceling of the American Mind, which might be reminiscent of the last time he was on the show. We discussed his other book, The Coddling of the American Mind, How Good Intentions and bad ideas are setting up a generation for failure. That was 2018. Uh, before that, he wrote Freedom from Speech and Unlearning Liberty, Campus Censorship and the End of American Debate. Welcome back to the show, Greg Lukianoff. Thanks for having me, Jackie. Great to have you. I I so enjoy your books, and I hope people will remember, or this should be reminiscent of um, an Older book from from uh, last century, the closing of the American Mind Yes by Alan Bloom, um, which kind of documented that moment in history where people jumped into postmodernism, decided all truth is relative, there's my truth, there's your truth you know I, I guess you can't call anyone a liar if you don't believe in truth um, <laughs> yes apparently and so your book. I think books, now plural, are meant to be as foundational to what is happening culturally in this moment in this country, which up until recently has been a bastion of free speech. So, Greg, tell us about the canceling of the American mind. What do we learn in this book?
1: Well, um, you know, I'm the president of the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, which turns 25 this year. Uh, And we defend free speech all over the country, um, but we have a particular focus in higher education. And I was working on a follow up to Coddling of the American Mind, my 2018 book with Jonathan Haidt. um, And I was co-authoring it with this absolutely brilliant uh, now 23 year old named Ricky Schlott. Wow. Um, and uh, and while we were getting ready to write a uh, follow up to coddling, which was much more about mental health and, and a lot of these other problems we're seeing on campus, I realized that there are still people out there who are trying to claim that cancel culture was a hoax, that it never happened that it's like a conspiracy theory. Um, And I was like, okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) I am sitting on a mountain of data um, and not just arguing that it happened. And of course, everyone knows it happened, um, Who's at least being intellectually honest. But to just prove that it happened and that it's not just something that happened, it's something that's on a historic scale and it undermines our ability to trust each other. It definitely destroys our ability to trust experts. um, And it's something that we're going to be studying in 100 years.
0: Right. Like this moment in time, I think is so um, pivotal because as you say Mm -hmm. in your book, you know, cancel culture is really only about a decade old, really. I mean, what we call cancel culture. Um, There were always professors who would shame you at a university or at a law school for saying things they didn't like. Uh, or even maybe uh, penalize your grades so it was that there was a type of like a infant um, embryonic cancel culture that I certainly remember from college and law school and I'm not that old but I haven't been there in a couple of decades probably Um, (laughs) but what you're talking about is a brand new level right this is like what how would you define cancel culture
1: Our definition of cancel culture is the uptick of people losing their jobs, getting deplatformed, expelled for speech that would be protected under First Amendment standards um, that began around 2014 and really accelerated around 2017.
0: Yeah. So like back when I remember Jerry Seinfeld saying, I'm not going to do any more shows on college campuses. And that was what everyone called the canary in the coal mine. You would know this much better than me. Apparently, historically, when people lose their free speech rights, it's the comedians that get hit. Um, I guess kind of early, right? Because they're the ones who almost—they're—they're they're like a fifth estate, poking fun at the regime. Um, yeah. Right. So, it, what is the history of that? Did this happen like in the Soviet Union um, or other places? Like, where where does that example come from historically?
1: Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, you go after the comedians first, I, and, and you know, like I'm. My grandfather fought the Bolsheviks. I lived in the Czech Republic after the wall fell. Like, so yeah. I mean, like c- comedians are considered to be among some of the most dangerous people to an authoritarian state. And to to brag a little bit, Jackie, <laughs> um, we actually did a documentary called "Can We Take a Joke?" Um, about the threats to free speech coming from cancel culture, which that name wasn't even really coined yet. Uh, that came out in twenty fifteen. And the only problem was we were too ahead of the curve. We got Adam Carolla in it, we got Penn Jillette in it, we got Gilbert Gottfried, we got a lot of like great comedians, but it was not on people's radar yet. But definitely your, your um uh your audience should go check it out because it was even before Chris Rock and Jerry Seinfeld it actually came out right around the time Chris Rock and Jerry Seinfeld were saying, "I don't like playing campuses anymore because I can't use my good material because they're too <laughs> sensitive."
0: Right. Okay, so is that it what can we take a com?
1: Um, yeah, can find uh, it? you can you can find it on Amazon. You can find it, you know, uh, um, you can find it on uh, uh, on Apple uh, TV. Like it's it's all over the place now.
0: Okay, okay, I'm I'm going to check that out because, you know, that's uh, people might not want to hear about the fine contours of First Amendment precedent, uh, you know, and and regulation, but they definitely can understand. Wait a minute, I can't hear Jerry Seinfeld in in public venues anymore just because other people you know what if if someone's offended i mean what was it what does it take does it take um that's another great question how many people have to be offended before this anti-democratic norm of shaming them or screaming them down works right it's just a teeny tiny fragment of the group that can cause disruption and end speech like how many people have to be committed to killing speech to kill it
1: on campus you know it just requires people that the administrators like yeah, right, in order right. to get speech canceled and so it doesn't have to be a large number of of anti-free speech activists but unfortunately campuses are producing and we talk a lot about this in cancelling of the american mind about the anti-free speech movement which has been you know like it really started right after the free speech movement you know free speech movement berkeley 1964 anti-free speech movement university of san diego 1965 and it's been uh, progressing, you know, slowly at first on campuses for a long time. But the last 10 years in particular, um, it's been accelerating.
0: Right. So I, I we've only got like two minutes left in this segment. Uh, but can you tell me how did this happen? Because I don't believe it's organic. I think it yeah. is manufactured and funded. Who caused this?
1: You know, it definitely is the case that there was a very intentional effort to turn the left on freedom of speech now. And I say the left as opposed to liberals, um, uh, partially because it was people like Herbert Marcuse, like a recover, like a sort of modified Marxist and a lot of other Marxist thinkers, including people like Richard Delgado. Um, who uh, had been advocating for uh, bucking the trend that was then kind of on the liberal left, that free speech was kind of central to, to their identity, to um, change that. Uh, because, you know, if you really want to have your perfect uh, authoritarian society, free speech is a problem for you. Right. So this is something that, that has been developing for a long time. And, it, and in the 80s, they passed speech codes, uh, you know, for the first time. Um, but the uh, but at least the public and and honestly like most liberals and conservatives thought like speech codes had no place on campus. Um, but unfortunately, as the illiberal left replaces the more liberal leaning left, we're in a situation in which there's very few people fighting back against censorship on campus, and then it spreads out to the whole rest of the country as it's doing right now.
0: I'm talking with Greg Lukianoff, and he is the author of The Canceling of the American Mind, not to be confused with the coddling of the american mind which is the book that he talked about um on the show i guess it's been gosh a few years ago now because that's dated back to 2018 it's been a while um and so we're going to take a break really quickly but i'm going to continue this conversation with greg and we're going to talk about the gaslighting of the american mind we'll be right back (laughs) You're listening to the Jackie Daily Show, and I'm continuing a conversation with Greg Lukianoff, who has co-authored a book. I commend to your reading. It's called "The Canceling of the American Mind." Sounds a lot like his earlier book, uh, "The Coddling of the American Mind," how good intentions and bad ideas are setting up a generation for failure, and where we left off last segment is number one: this anti-free speech movement is not organic. You know, Americans have been relatively free with speech for almost 250 years. What has caused the tipping point for us to finally change that trajectory after all this time? Uh, I argued it's manufactured. It is funded. I'll remind you at this time, uh, Greg, the author, used to be with the ACLU. Uh, came very much from what what used to be the old style of liberal, at least older to those of us who are over 40 uh people who actually believed in free speech and and in fact uh, liberal democrats were the bastion perhaps of free speech for a time and how things change it seems like they always change so greg you have a a chapter in the book called the gaslighting of the american mind describe what we learned in that chapter
1: yeah, the gaslighting of the American mind. So gaslighting, um, I'm sure most of your listeners know what it means, but it means to try to make someone think that they're crazy um, to, 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 from a movie called Gaslight from 1944. And in this case, it is about how um, a big chunk of social media, particularly left-leaning social media, and people like Keith Olbermann and other establishment figures freaked out um, over the course of two weeks when the New York Times published a piece by a former fire intern, Emma Camp, saying that um, campuses are hard to have serious discussions these days, which should not be controversial. It's in all the polling. And then it was even worse when the New York Times actually published something saying that actually it turns out that if you honestly look at the polling, cancel culture is real and serious. And here's the thing, that's absolutely true. If you look at the polling, you can't deny that cancel culture is real and people are scared of it, whether they're black, white, liberal, or conservative. And people flipped out on twitter it was amazing so, like saying like this is if i was still at the new york times or alan davidson i think his name was i i'd, I'd quit today jeff jacoby you know talked about um insulted them keith overman like all of these people were were saying things like this uh, this, this obviously isn't true and it's uh, um and it's like no guys like basically you are the tiny uh, quadrant of the public but not even a quadrant like two one percent of the population who claims that this isn't even happening. Everyone else knows this is happening, um, but you want them to keep lying about it.
0: Right. Right. And, you know, and that, that leads right into sort of the 1984 Orwellian idea that people have to go along and pretend like everyone and pretend like they believe things that are not true. Yep. And it sure feels like that right now at a minimum, you you can think what you want as long as you don't speak it. Otherwise, yep. swift consequences will rain down. Um, and this is just a hallmark signature trait of um, of totalitarian states. So, um, see, I've got a little bit of time. You you list here case study psychotherapy. Tell me why oh, you've zoned yeah. in on psychotherapy.
1: This really scares me. The, uh, uh, um, the, um, this to, uh, the situation that I've seen from people that I, I know who are actually getting their PhDs in clinical psychology is that uh, students are freaking out about the possibility of having to uh, be therapists for people who might vote for Trump or might be Republicans. And of course, the answer to that is you treat whoever comes into your office and you try to help them. You don't disown your own patient because you don't like their politics. That's that's nuts. And they're and they're, they're actually in some cases, these young therapists are being taught to intervene in the therapy relationship to, quote unquote, correct incorrect or what they would deem to be incorrect political viewpoints. And it's like, no, that's totalitarian. That is going into a realm where you have no business telling people what they must or should think um, when you're trying to help them deal with anxiety and depression.
0: Well, and you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a while now that I have lost trust in that discipline. Um, And, and this just further confirms, I mean, yeah, maybe these Republicans are better off without their help, right? If if a person <laughs> seriously has to ask that question, what do yeah. I do? If someone asks for help and they don't agree with me on every single issue, therefore I don't, you know, I refuse them. It's if they're even asking the question, they yeah. probably don't need to be helping anyone. They need help themselves. Um, okay, you have a, a chapter about this is so good raising kids who are not cancelers. This is so important because, Greg, I see generationally where we're losing this battle. I see it. You can can see, you know, the parents are over a certain age and we expect that in a room of people where there's more than than one, there won't be agreement all the time. It's normal. It's just life. It's the way it is in a free country. But the kids don't are raised on something different from the school and for whatever reason greg i don't understand this part the parents don't jump in there to pass on their own culture their own their own beliefs and i'm not sure why that is i have some theories one literally the kids spend more time with the schools than with the parents so because the state mandates it so they've lost their rapport They've lost Mm -hmm. the relationship or they've lost the trust. I I don't know. Or maybe the, um, you know, the parents feel um, they don't have the moral authority if maybe Mm -hmm. they too are cancelers, you know, ad hoc or, or, uh, you want try to say, yeah, ad hoc. Um, What do you think? How how do you correct this? How do you raise kids that are not cancelers? Not part of the problem.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, a lot of it comes from sort of deprogramming stuff that comes out of education schools. And I want to be clear. A lot of people who are educa- educators in K through 12, they're good people with good hearts. But they go to education schools, which are routinely the the, has the lowest viewpoint diversity. They're the most politically monolithic. They have some of the worst ideas come out of them um, in, ter- in terms of like everything from philosophy to morality. Um, and you end up in a situation where they're being taught more or less that people who agree with us you know in this overwhelmingly left-leaning profession are good uh and must be protected whereas people who don't are evil regressive racists and must be fought and canceled etc and a lot of parents who could be deprogramming this stuff one in some cases Agree.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. right.
1: Um, which is the most, one of the most horrible. And, and the ones who aren't are afraid to because I have a, a six and an eight year old. And my, my eight year old um, is weirdly smart, but he's also about as good at judging people as I was at his age. <laughs> right. So we're always kind of scared. Like sometimes he's going to say something completely honest that's going to get us off for the principal at some point. <laughs> right.
0: right. Well, okay. So, so, what are your practical tips? I've got like one minute left. If you're a parent of a child that you know, it probably starts very young. Um, oh, yeah, it's yeah. being programmed to be a canceler. How do you instill in them without without an argument, without you know, without er- er raising suspicions? Um, that look, tolerating other viewpoints is the yeah. decent, humane, American, and safe approach
1: yeah well there's so many different ways to do it we talk about teaching them the the golden rule you know as a really basic one but even just learning to disagree with your spouse in front of your in in front of your kids in a constructive way right have dinner with them ask them what they think about stuff disagree with them challenge them to disagree with you all of these habits have to be taught
0: right right well i'll tell you um you know i i once was dating a guy Uh, back when I was single and he had an adult daughter and I I don't even remember what I said. And she said, well, you can't say that in this family. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, well, not everyone agrees with you. And I (laughs) said, well, I'm sure that's true, but that's just true all the time everywhere in all places, you know? And I said, yeah. "Yeah." And I had to explain, like literally no one ever had framed for this young woman. This is an adult. Like this is normal. This is how adults are. If if two people agree all the time, one of them isn't thinking, right? So yeah, it's it doesn't it doesn't shepherdize friendships, relationships, marriages, business relationships. If we all don't agree on everything all the time, in fact, nothing would yeah. function if that were the that were the policy, right? So, Agreed. but no one's done that thinking for them. No one's framed it for them like that. And uh, no, but you're right. It's being the example is the best teacher uh in absolutely. your own your own household absolutely okay talking with greg lukianoff again get his book the canceling of the american mind and if you did not get uh the coddling of the american mind i love that title you <laughs> really should uh because you can learn a lot from greg again he came from a former dictatorship actually my historically family did. <laughs> yeah, his, his family did uh, and uh, and then work for the ACLU. Sometimes people say I don't have diverse viewpoints and, and uh, liberals and leftists and environmentalists and former liberals on the show. That's totally false. Um, I just don't have them label themselves all the time. But I think it adds a lot of credibility, Greg, that you came from the ACLU, and this is your position. You pushed off on your own uh, to do your own thing. And um, this is of great value. So wonderful contribution you have made you, Jackie. to the American experiment and uh, keeping this republic alive hopefully a few more years and so <laughs> really appreciate what you're doing Greg
1: take care Jackie thank you you
0: too you're listening to the Jackie Daily Show <laughs> on the line is Jeff Fisher from Chewing the Fat I call him Jeffy sometimes and I saw this story and I said, you know, this has Jeff Fisher written all over it. This is the Washington (laughs) Post. And here's the title. This unexpected material might be in your next sweater. Jeffy, we must uh, essentially recycle human hair, your hair, my hair. They're talking about North America into our clothes as a climate solution. Yep. It's really creepy. It's kind of occultish.
2: It kind of is, and they you know, look, they want to weave human hair together, and uh, it's because you know it would save uh, our gases, and it's better for us if they do our hair. I do have a question though, because this uh, this lady says that she, uh, you know, she can't help but think about the precious uh, precious material. Uh, that is being wasted away, swept into the trash. When she sees hair on the barbershop floor, the hairdresser's floor getting just swept into the trash. So she just expects us to give her the hair? Uh, No. Uh, If you are going to use my hair to create products to sell, uh, I'm getting a cut.
0: These precious locks. Yeah, notice there's no money trail in
2: this article. That's correct.
0: And it's 32 tons of hair per day. You're hearing us correctly, by the way. We're saying human, human hair. hair, yeah, Goldilocks, and
2: she talks about how uh, it's uh, quite expensive now. It sounds, you know, it's uh, just the same as <laughs> our uh, our wind and solar projects. That look, it's expensive now, but once we get it down, once we reach full scale production, we can provide very competitive prices. Oh, oh, okay, so that's great. So the more hair we give you. You'll be able to bring the prices down for us, right? That's what she's claiming.
0: Who is going to wear a sweater made with human hair? This this is the stuff that like every state in the nation, in the union, requires employees of restaurants to wear hair nets, precisely so that their hair does not touch anything. Let's say your food or, or your countertop. It needs to be hygienic.
2: Well, I'm hoping that her production process solves that, right?
0: It's so nasty. You know, you know what it is. It's also it's the people who are blurring the line dangerously between humans and lower order animals, right? Like I'm telling you for, for this okay. for this lady, yeah. what alpaca sweaters, at wool sweaters, you're shearing these other animals. What are, I I bet she believes. What are we except overbred chimpanzees? So Correct. what's the big deal?
2: What's the big deal? Shave
0: us too. No. Why waste all of this hair? Because you know what happens. You grow hair. Uh, it it decomposes in landfill fills, and she she points out accurately. Yes, it degrades, and then guess what? It it breaks down, and this causes emissions. Right. Yeah. Like since the beginning of time. What's she gonna do about all of the squirrels, the wild hogs, uh, you know, the the deer. They all have hair too. Yes, they do. They're causing emissions. But right?
2: we're but right now we're concerned about the human material loop.
0: And yeah,
2: uh, well, that's what we're <laughs> concerned about. I need to focus about. on that's right. It's super don't, creepy. Don't don't bog down with other animals. We're talking specifically about the human material loop. And it's you know I still I, I know I'm 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 caught up in the I guess we're just expected to give it to her for free
0: because
2: it really just kind of irks me like she just expects we're just gonna the barber shops are just gonna sweep it up and give it to her so she could go make some money it really kind of irks me
0: well you know it irks me too but but I, i'm telling you this train stops really fast before it even leaves the station because there are there, there are no orders for human hair i mean you would have to be I'm sorry, it's like you'd almost have to be a member of the Church of Satan to want to wear human hair okay, as, as part of your garb.
2: But she also talks about, you know, curtains, carpets, and furniture, not just clothes. So she wants to use the recycled hair for, you know, products. I'm sorry, the Equally material creepy. loop. Equally
0: yeah. creepy. Okay, remember uh, when you were in high school, you were required to read Jonathan Swift's a modest proposal Oh,
2: if you, went you to remember high school. This? yeah no if you went to high school some of us just never went
0: so <laughs> okay i i went to what i think was literally the poorest <laughs> public school district in the state of ohio and we read jonathan swift and bottom line it was about these he's he's lecturing these brits who look down on the irish in such an inhumane way he's like you know what you all want a solution for what to do with the irish i know let's make lamps out of them yeah right sure. and so it was a satirical post, actually. You know how back in those days, what was funnier, satirical? It's a little different. Children's stories were about grinding bones yeah. and you know all those things. And uh, Northern Europe and England, were grotesque. It's what they liked. That's
2: it's what the f- kids like. That's what we got.
0: But but the point is, this is kind of similar, and I, I credit Mark Murano for putting this into my inbox. He pulled it from the Washington Post. Find some of the greatest stuff uh, over at Climate Depot, um, but this is how far we've gone oh yes not one thing can be wasted everything even your even growing hair now is a climate offense it's a climate sin and so you're gonna have to donate it just to go toward your carbon offset
2: we're living in a climate emergency right where everything is a climate emergency and if we don't do something about it now something has to be done Jackie, I don't know if you, apparently you disagree, but something has to be done. And if that means we have to recycle hair from the floor of a barbershop, then so be it.
0: All that we have to do is give John Kerry enough money to solve it.
2: He's out now, though, right? I mean, he's already, he's not the climate czar guy now. He quit to go be part of the Joe Biden campaign team. I haven't seen him out oh, campaigning but, for Joe Biden, but that's part of that, that was the deal, right? He's not the—I don't think he's the climate czar anymore.
0: But he'll be stumping on climate. Watch, No, he's—he's going to be the climate ambassador for the campaign. That's which, what he'll announce too.
2: Which is great because I mean he's already—I don't know—lost a campaign once. You want him campaigning for you?
0: Yeah. No, this is the guy you, you know—out there pushing ideas without popular appeal just like himself. He's the guy who we did not vote for. Correct. The guy we did not vote for. But he
2: also is the guy that believes that, uh, you know, the climate, and I don't know that he believes it. I know know that it's, uh, it's putting a great deal of cash in his pocket to believe that we're in a climate emergency and something, something needs to be done. Now I'm not going to do it because I'm John Kerry and I've got to go around the world and uh, preach all of this. I'm not going to worry about hey, The way about this it.
0: works is as long as you're rich, it doesn't apply to you. No. As well, long it does as, as long afford, as you can
2: purchase the carbon offset. Right.
0: As long yeah. as you can afford the carbon offsets, which is why they're not losing any sleep over this. But notice how the last two guys that we did not vote for on the Democrat side became like climate multi-multi-millionaires. Sure. Why is that Fortune. the issue that they both... Went into, I think it's because it's the highest paying,
2: right? Well, that's, it certainly has proven true for them. Yeah, that I mean... Is it is the highest paying, no question.
0: And so, you know what, uh, Gore does his tour uh, for, with his climate film, yep. Inconvenient Truth. And, and
2: they still put him up on a pedestal. He goes to the talks and he talks that the, the climate is uh, the all-powerful Oz behind the, behind the curtain. And he doesn't do any interviews.
0: But let me give you some. Let me oh, give you a fact. Let me agonizing. give you a fact. Well, let me give you three facts. He dropped out of Vanderbilt Law School, where I graduated. He dropped out of Vanderbilt Divinity School. Two-time dropout. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, and then here's the deal. He he got rich off of what? Where did he make his money? He sold that ridiculous TV station yes, he, he had for reportedly hundreds of millions of dollars. And where did the money come from? The oil
2: barons, right? That's right. It came
0: from the Middle East. It came from fossil fuel money. And I'm telling you, I've been telling you this for a long time. Whatever we do to curtail our oil and gas production, which is what he's all about, helps them. They are a competition, and he got a big fat check from them. No question. These are facts. It didn't offend him to take oil money. In the least. No.
2: In the least. And he's—I mean—he's got his—he's got his beachfront home,
0: and his twenty-thousand-square-foot home in Nashville. Yeah, well, that, one of his four. No, that's
2: just one of the places he stays at. I mean, let's not be silly. He can't be expected to have just one home.
0: What his carbon footprint in his one Nashville house is more than my family's houses combined. We could add together—you know—the grandparents, dad, the uncle, oh, yeah. the cousin, probably my—not my immediate family. My extended family combined, I think, uh, would not fit into the, the living members. Into but that having been ex.
2: said, doesn't change the fact that your family needs to donate those wasted locks <laughs> from their head. Well, so that's so certainly that we the only way. The planet.
0: That's the only way they will be able to afford their their portion of the carbon offset is selling organs and selling uh, their hair. Right. Right. How else can we pay penance for, for all what we've done being alive? Right.
2: That's exactly what we're paying penance for.
0: Yes. All right, off to break. You're listening to the Jackie Daly Show.